think about that ideal client. What if they bought everything that they could buy from your organization, every product, service, every solution, every, everything that you offer? Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Daryl. Daryl, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, my pleasure, Michelle. This is going to be a blast. Yes, it will. So give us a 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Well, I am a fellow Canadian who is passionate about helping generous business owners grow their business. I've been involved in sales and marketing for the last 30 years, but also been in some nonprofit boards. And what I noticed is the people that move the needle the most uh, in nonprofits are generous business owners. So I really, really enjoy helping those generous, generous business owners find ways to scale and scale faster. Nice. So how did you get into scaling in particular? Because it's a pretty specific spot in business. Well, absolutely. And, and really, it all comes down to revenue. And, and Michelle, I, I'd spent, uh, started straight out of university into a B2B sales career, which is where I fell in love with sales, sales leadership, was coaching salespeople, started training a training company in 2018, teaching uh, business to business sales reps how to drive business conversation, uncover needs, et cetera. And at the same time, my very first client came to me and said, Hey, that training you did for our sales team was fantastic, but our website doesn't say anything about it. Do you build websites? Of course, being entrepreneurial and that my fir- being my first client, you know what the answer was, right? It was like, yes, sir, we build websites, but it sent me on this journey over the last couple of decades with one foot in the sales world, one foot in the marketing world, and both things I'm very passionate about. But I noticed that in most organizations, sales was going one way, marketing was going the other. It was kind of like trying to ski down the hill with your skis not pointed in the same direction. You may get to the bottom of the hill, but it's going to be a very painful process. Uh, So I got very passionate about looking at how can we get sales and marketing aligned so that uh, businesses can achieve the end result, which is revenue growth. And you know, so all of this I look at at scaling, the metric for scaling is revenue. And really, when it comes to growing revenue, there's only two ways to grow revenue. If you boil it all down, you get more net new clients, you ring the bell, add new logos, market share, whatever you want to call it. The second way to grow revenue is you cross-sell more to your current client base. You get the wallet share, you expand in your account base. What I've noticed, Michelle, and I'm curious what you've seen out there, but I've noticed that most businesses seem to be good at one or the other. They're either good at net new or they're good at cross-sell. They're good at bringing new clients in or they're good at selling more to their current clients. And it's very rare that I find a business that's got both going well at the same time. But when both go well at the same time, that's when exponential growth starts to happen. That's when we scale. Nice. So questions galore already. (laughs) <laughs> One is, um, why do you think that is that people are, are businesses in particular good at one mm-hmm. versus the other, because there's nothing saying they can't be good at both or that they're not good at either. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, absolutely. <laughs> and I also want to get into the difference, uh, your opinion 
um, semantically, what's the difference between growth when you refer to it and scaling? So mm-hmm. take it anywhere you like and it's whatever you want. Yeah, great question. So let's start with the first one. I've found it's about three to one that businesses seem to be good at net new versus cross-sell. And I think the the reality of all of that is, you know, to to start a business and grow a business, you've got to go out and get new customers. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a vital part of every business. But at the same time, what I've discovered is a lot of those businesses that have a heavy sales bias to go get new customers are leaving a lot of low-hanging fruit on the tree. I was speaking at a tech conference uh, and uh, Tiffany Bova was there. There's a room, this pre-COVID, a room full of 2,500 sales and marketing leaders in the tech space that, that I've spent most of my career in. And um, Tiffany Bova, the chief evangelist for Salesforce, stood up in front of this amazing group of leaders and uh, with all the courage in the world, if I may paraphrase, paraphrase, she said, y'all are crazy. (laughs) She said, you are like people in the 1800s who sold everything, took the train out to California to go find a gold mine. You clawed your way up into the hills. You finally found that one nugget of gold And like any sales team, you rang the bell, slapped high fives, said, look at my nugget of gold. And the sales manager said, that's great. Go find me another gold mine. (laughs) Reality is, you know, we've got, if you've, if you've been in business any amount of time, you've got a client base that is, uh, is full of gold that many businesses, quite frankly, fail to mine. So when it comes to, to growing business, yes, net new. And if you're one of the businesses that says, yeah, Daryl, if I'm honest with myself and honest with you, we're not really that good at cross-sell, um, I would challenge you, you know, get good at cross-sell and revenue growth engine. Um, we're big believers in process. I believe that process is the missing link in most organizations when it comes to growth. And so um, look at cross-sell. What happens once someone becomes a client? What processes can we put in place or for my fellow Canadian friends, what processes can we put in place to ensure that we are maximizing our wallet share in those in those um, in those accounts? And here's what's really cool. And this is this is where I think scale gets unlocked because when 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 you're only good at net new, you're going to add clients and you're going to see linear growth, right? Year over year, we're going to grow X percent net new clients. However, when you can get net new and cross-sell working together at the same time, that's when the hockey stick begins. And what I've discovered, and actually, if you go, if it's one of our free tools, if you text the word revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com, in our free toolkit, we have a, a growth acceleration calculator. And the interesting thing is if you show modest growth, say like 12% year over year in net new and show modest growth in revenue per client, your cross-sell metric, you actually can double revenue in about three years organically. And you know it's simple math, but when a lot of business owners see this, they begin to realize, okay, the key to scale, and I think scaling is when you start to hit that exponential growth curve, the key to scale is just making sure we've got our eye on the ball on net new and cross-sell, that we have processes in place for net new and cross-sell, and that we're growing both of those areas simultaneously. And that's when scale begins to happen. Nice. I love that. And I think a lot of it, in my experience, has to do with the fact that 
tech is really good at getting that first client, but not so mm-hmm. good at upselling, cross-selling. So then they translate that when they take their software and go and sell it to their industries. And now all of a yeah. sudden, everybody's doing it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is interesting, but I see this across uh, all kinds of different uh, organizations. And now, with the work we're doing with Revenue Growth Engine, I get to see a lot of different industries and businesses. And you know, it's interesting because this, uh, this, this is everywhere. You see businesses that land new deals but don't fully mine their contact base. My friend Mark Hunter, the sales hunter, uh, Mark says. I love the way he says this. He says, you don't close a deal, you open a relationship. And I think when you look at at your client base from that perspective, that the sales and marketing doesn't stop when you get the order. It actually really just begins. They've given you permission now. And so uh, in Revenue Growth Engine, we share processes that businesses can put in place to set the stage for cross-sell from the time that order is approved all the way through that client relationship. And this is, uh, you know, for for most businesses, the cross sell side of things is where the smart revenue is because they're already a client. Um, you're already one of their uh, their vendors. Why not? Um, why not go in and grow that relationship? Certainly, it's incredibly powerful. You get that going with your net new, and now you're in an exponential growth mode. Right. So let's talk about the revenue growth engine and what are some of the principles that are fundamental to it? Yeah. So uh, the first is the law of exponential growth, which we've been talking about. But the second is the power of ideal clients. I am a huge Mike McAllowitz fan. And in his book, The Pumpkin Plan, he says, not all clients are created equal. And I couldn't agree more. Um, the good old Italian economist, Vilfredo Pareto, we all know the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. I've discovered, Michelle, that the 80-20 rule is alive and doing well right here in 2022 in just about every business. If you look at where their revenue comes from, it usually 20% of the clients are delivering 80% of the revenue. I was, I'm laughing because literally last week, was on the phone with a company. We're getting ready to do their revenue growth plan. And uh, we were talking about their current state and the CFO was on the call listening to this. And I don't think he really believed me. And so he pulled open you know, the reports. And while we were in the meeting, he goes, oh my goodness, it's literally 80, 20. Like it was within a 10th of a decimal point. And so the reality is when you start to realize that, you know, that, that there are clients that we would call ideal clients or ideal customers. An ideal client on average delivers 20 to 30 times the potential revenue of an average client. I've seen this over and over again. We'll sit down uh, with a leadership team at a business and we'll just start asking them about their ideal clients. They'll start telling us what they like about those, their, those clients, what they enjoy about working with them. And then I'll ask a question that I'll ask to every one of your uh, podcast listeners right now is think about that ideal client. What if they bought everything that they could buy from your organization, every product, service, every solution, every, everything that you offer, the type of client that needs that? What if they bought everything they could buy from you over the next 10 years? What would that add up to? And when uh, leadership teams start itemizing this stuff out, either on a spreadsheet or a whiteboard and going, okay, well, if they bought this and bought everything that you know they could use over the next 10 years, 
the numbers get really exciting. <laughs> and when, they get really exciting when you start to go, wow, the potential of ideal clients to accelerate our growth is amazing. Now, then there's a, a, another moment that's a little more sobering. And that's when you look at your average value per client. So you take your total revenue and you divide it by your number of active clients, you're going to find your current revenue per client. And typically uh, what will happen is when you look at the ideal client and the potential and you look at what they're getting from an average client right now, it's usually 20 to 30x. And this is where, you know, especially as we're, we're moving or you could say we're in choppy economic waters right now, it becomes really important to make sure that we are um, not only looking for and landing these type of ideal clients, but we're doing everything that we can uh, to serve them and maximize the value we're delivering and thus the value we're receiving from those clients. So the law of exponential growth, ideal clients, figure that out. And then the next step that we talk about in Revenue Growth Engine is we've got to get their attention. And I think it's no secret to the listeners of your podcast that we live in a very, very cluttered world. Like the average person now is exposed to over 3,500 messages a day. Now, I feel like I've got that many of my emails some days, <laughs> exactly. but I'm talking about YouTube ads. I'm talking about billboards, banner ads, emails, you just go down the list, commercials, all of this. And so one of the things that, that we have done to survive in our society, and this is like literally a survival tactic, is we filter out anything except for things that are related to the outcomes we want to achieve personally or biz business-wise. The only thing that's going to make it through my filter to grab my attention is something that is related to an outcome I want to achieve. Uh, Theodore Levitt, the pr great uh, professor at Harvard Business School, many consider the father of modern marketing, was the guy that walked into the business school class holding up the drill bit. We all know this story, right? No one went to Lowe's, Home Depot, Ace Hardware, um, Home Hardware, insert hardware store here to buy a drill bit. They went to get a hole. Uh, Donald Miller, uh, one of my favorite authors of story brand would say, well, they didn't actually go to, to buy the hole. What they actually went was to, to hang the plaque on the wall so they could look good to their friends. Because we all know that we descended from cavemen. If we don't fit in with our friends, we could get eaten by a tiger because we're isolated. So, you know, whatever the psychological thing behind that is, they didn't go to Home Depot or the hardware store to buy a drill bit. They went to buy the hole. They went to look good to their friends. They went to avoid being eaten by a tiger, whatever that is. We've got to understand the outcomes that our ideal clients and our ideal prospects want. And this is where I think a lot of people uh, need to have their heads up right now. Um, we're in a very dynamic environment in the economies right now as we come out of pandemic and into whatever, <laughs> whatever is unfolding. It's changing very rapidly. Before the pandemic, uh, Gartner Group, which is a survey firm that works a lot in the tech space, they went out and they surveyed buyers and they said, what, what outcomes are you looking for? And pre-pandemic, it was things like, we want to scale our business. We want to grow rapidly. We want to expand into new markets, you know, all of that. Imagine two months into the pandemic, if your marketing message was this, in an economy where things are exploding and you want to scale your business, you, know, you would have gone, what in the world, right? Because 
the outcomes shifted. Companies were still selling the same products. You know, a SaaS company, for example, is still selling an online accounting system, for example. But the outcomes that we're looking for were, had shifted to redundancy, resiliency, remote work, uh, you know, the big three R's. Now you look and fast forward, okay, we are in an area of price increases, global economic instability, um, you know, looming recession. So the outcomes that your buyers are looking for, whether you sell B2B or B2C are shifting. So you're selling exactly the same product, but the message that you deliver, if you want to get through the filter, needs to be related to the outcomes your buyers want. And in Revenue Growth Engine, we coach, uh, we coach business leaders to put together what I call an outcomes inventory. Every sales rep carries around a price list, right? And this is a, a listing of all the products or services that we sell. However, in addition to that price list or catalog, really what I want you to think about is what are the outcomes you deliver? Like, what are the things that people are actually buying from you? You may sell drill bits, but what's the, what are the outcomes, the whole, the looking good to your friends, the avoid, avoiding being eaten by a tiger? Like, what is that for you? And specifically, how, how is that relevant to what's going on in the marketplace right now, in the lives, in the business lives of the people that you're trying to sell to? And so I want to challenge everybody right now. I think this is an important time. Um, to be able to look at the message that you're delivering in light of who your ideal client is and go, what's really on their mind? What are they thinking about as they're you know, commuting to work in the morning and driving down the freeway? What, what, what are the goals that they have? And is there some way we can make a connection between our offerings and those goals? I think those are the companies that are going to win in this uh, dynamic environment. I love it. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories, one of your clients. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. So um, I remember being uh, in so many different ones I can think of. Let's, I, I want to go to Miami though, because, you know, even though it's the middle of the summer right now, um, if you are located in Miami, um, I bet you want to have an onsite uh, podcast interview with Michelle in February. I think she would appreciate that. So um, <laughs> Nonetheless, um, we were in Miami, it was a technology company, and, and I love watching the aha moment. I was talking earlier about going across the whiteboard and adding up everything an ideal client could buy. They had discovered that the value of an all-in ideal client over the next decade was $866,000. Now, if you contrast that with their average client value, which was currently $36,000, Everyone on the leadership team got fired up and they started saying, what can we do to, first of all, identify our current clients, the 20% that are delivering 80% of the revenue or could be, or should be delivering 80% of the revenue that have the potential. What could we do um, to, to help them? So they started putting some plays in place that, uh, that are in the revenue growth engine book. The first and most simple one was they started doing a value add, a quarterly business review with their clients where they went in and actually didn't just go in and say, Hey, this is how we performed. And, uh, how do we do? Do you have any problems? But they actually came in and said, Hey, tell me about your business. What are your goals right now? What challenges are you facing? And they had real business conversations with their clients on a regular basis. And that started, uh, prompting discussions about how they could solve those problems. Revenue started growing. 
The other thing that they did is they rolled out a premium client uh, package. You know, if you um, travel with an airline uh, like I do, I fly a lot, um, you know, because I fly a lot in the airline that I fly a lot on, which is American Airlines, I have status on that airline. So they, you know, I get to go to the front of the line sometimes. Every so often I get to go to the front of the plane. There's perks with that. Well, what are the perks for being an ideal client? So they put together a list, uh, an ideal client package. I think they called it their platinum, platinum client program. Um, and they rolled it out to their ideal clients, which was a good excuse to get in and start talking to them again. And inside that platinum client program is highlighted, you know, things like annual strategy uh, days and ways to collaborate with the client to help them, them grow. So when they rolled out their platinum client experience, it prompted a lot of conversations uh, but it also set the stage for them to go out and get new ideal clients. So they had something to talk about. So when you become our client, here's how we serve our clients. Here's how we align our, our offerings with your business goals. And here's how we collaborate to deliver value. And uh, so when you see things like this going into motion, they put together a new onboarding process uh, to celebrate when uh, the client went on board, uh, because we all know that what happens in the first hundred days, Joey Coleman, never lose a customer again. One of my favorite books says clients decide in the first hundred days, if they're going to continue working with you or not. So for their ideal clients, they did every, they threw a party. So with all these things in motion now, their revenue starts growing. And I'm pleased to say, uh, you know, they are adding more ideal clients. Their revenue per client has gone up. And, um, you know, this is, this is really powerful because what happens when you start identifying your ideal clients and putting the processes in place to serve them, especially in cross-selling, now, now you've, got, you've got the fuel that you need to, to scale. And uh, so I get to see stuff like this all the time. We had another client. What really made my heart happy and a little bit sad at the same time was, um, after spending about 18 months with us putting different processes in place for cross-sell and net new revenue for their ideal clients, they were actually able to sell their business and they got a really nice multiple on their business. And one of the things that came back was we got a high multiple on our business because the buyers saw that they weren't just buying customers from us, they were buying processes. And uh, so that made, makes my heart happy because I love seeing generous business owners not only drive revenue, but when you can have a beautiful exit that's enhanced because you have processes in place, something that we now are calling revenue operations uh, infrastructure in place, that to me is just so, so cool. It makes a huge difference for sure. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now listening to this going, oh my God, Daryl, I need you so badly. Well, I think, uh, you know, we work with a lot of clients that, um, that have set three-year goals. Um, I run all my businesses on the entrepreneur's operating system with traction. And so we get to work with a lot of clients that use traction and, and other clients that have set three-year goals. And probably the biggest reason we get called in is there's the three-year goal and then there's our current revenue trajectory and there's a big gap, right? So you go, you can set three-year goals. train is not hitting the, the it's station. It's not going to hit the station. <laughs> the plane is not going to land on the right <laughs> runway. And so, you know, the, the reality is I think every, every business owner um, wants to grow their business and every business owner should be setting revenue goals that are ahead of their growth, you know, their growth trajectory. I, it, otherwise, I think, you know, 
how boring, right? I think you can do more. Um, so we get called in when you know, that growth trajectory is here, the three-year goal is here. And you know now you've got to solve for that problem. What are we going to do to accelerate our revenue growth? And that's where, you know, if you've got that challenge, um, I'd love to, by the way, I'd love to send any of your listeners a copy of Revenue Growth Engine. If you'll send, text the word revenue to 21,000, that's revenue to 21,000 or go to revenuegrowthengine.com uh, for shipping and handling charges. I'll send you an autographed copy of the book. But the idea is to be able to say, okay, we've got a growth goal. We're not lined up to hit it. We need to do something different. That's where I like to get involved. Nice. I love it. So I was going to say that I know our listeners want to get a hold of you. How do they do that? You've told us. So peeps, those links will be in the show notes. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, any other ways that you wanted them to get a hold of you? I'd love to connect with all of you on LinkedIn. And the great news, Michelle, is there's not that many people named Daryl Amy on LinkedIn. So you're going to find me really easily. <laughs> double R, double L. Awesome. That's love right. It. So I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it, I think it was born out of discontent and frustration. I had, I spent, uh, let's see, until I was 30, my mid thirties in the, uh, in the technology world. And, um, you know, I, there just became a moment when I was really bored <laughs> and I was, I was also doing a job that I really, quite frankly, wasn't good at. I was leading a sales team and I knew better. I tried to do that earlier. I'm much better at strategy and, uh, and building things that I'm a, at motivating salespeople. So um, yeah, it was just one of those moments of discontent. And I was actually at a, a leadership conference and uh, the speaker, a guy named Andy Stanley said, hey, I want you to go outside. I want you to make a list, draw a line down the middle of the page. And on the left-hand side, I want you to write out everything that you enjoy doing. And then on the right-hand side, I want you to write out everything that you're good at. So at the time, I knew I didn't enjoy managing salespeople. <laughs> so that, would, that didn't make the list. But I did enjoy coming up with new ideas and sharing them with people. And at the time, I knew uh, a certain niche in the, in, the, uh, in the technology world. So coming out of that meeting, I said, I'm going to come up with new ideas and, and, and share them with people. So I started a sales training company teaching reps how to sell um, software in a hardware environment. It was pretty innovative at the time. And uh, I think just the vision of all of that going, man, if I could do that every day, I would be so fired up was enough to give me the courage to leave a really cushy, pretty high paying role um, to journey out in the entrepreneurial world. That was January of 2004. So uh, we got 18 years and change under the belt since then. And uh, I'm so thankful I made that leap. I love that. So in the entrepreneurial journey, oftentimes I find that people have some pretty funny faux pas that happen <laughs> that you look back and you go, okay, that in retrospect, that was hilarious. <laughs> Do you have any of those faux pas? Oh my, hilarious. I don't know. I've got lots of painful ones I can <laughs> laugh at now. No, you got to be able to laugh at them now. Oh, the man. funny ones. Yeah. You know, it, it was interesting though, along that line, I'm reading um, a book right now called Anti-Fragile. Really interesting book by, uh, if I've known a butcher, his name, Nasim Tlaib, uh, or Tlaib. He, he says he, at the end of the chapter I, I finished last night, he was like, there should be like a day every year where everyone celebrates entrepreneurs because these are the people, that's us, that take risks 
fall on their face, but nothing moves forward in society unless someone takes that risk. And so, um, but funny, oh, funny things. Well, I just, <laughs> you know, huh. I, I, and I think humor is I'll tell you something a, in the entrepreneurial funny. world is kind of biased because, you know, we watch somebody wipe yeah. out on a bike and we're laughing our butts off going, thank God <laughs> it was so me. true. Um, I'll tell you what, what was funny. Uh, so as a visionary, I'm a, a, a visionary for a Convergo, a company that helps companies develop growth strategies using the growth engine model. And uh, then I'm also a podcast co-host on a sales podcast called Selling from the Heart. And uh, so keep in mind, I've been in digital marketing since 2004. So uh, my business partner for Selling from the Heart, uh, which was, at the time was named something different, kept coming to me going, Daryl, we should do a podcast. This is in like 2015 or 16. And I said, Larry, nobody's going to listen to two sales guys on a podcast. What a waste of time. And so he kept coming at me over and over again. One day we're checking into a tech conference. I remember we're in the lobby of the Bellagio and uh, Larry goes, we should do a podcast. I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, will you stop? I said, what do you want to call it? And he said, let's call it selling from the heart. And I was looked back at him and I said, that's really good. So we literally, uh, at, in a hotel room in the Bellagio launched this selling from the art podcast. And I can laugh now because I mean, it's been five years. We have a global audience. It's been extremely successful. We've launched a book and rebranded the company around it. And we're now working with some, uh, fortune 100 companies in selling from the heart and all that. So it's just been like this set and it all started out as something that I said, what a waste of time. And, um, you know, so here from that first episode where I hacked together some bumper music on my iPad, um, and we, I don't know how we recorded this to today where we get to talk with, uh, I mean, the episode last week was with Brent Adamson, a challenger sale, which is one of my all time favorite books. I'm just like a kid in a candy store now, uh, podcasting. And, um, you know, so that, that I can look back on that moment and go, <laughs> it was so funny because I was so against wasting the time of doing a podcast. And here we are now, seven years later. And what are we doing? we're podcasting. And if you're listening, guess what you're doing? You're listening to a podcast. It's actually a pretty good business strategy. And now you're laughing all the way to the bank. That's awesome. <laughs> it's, that. it's fun. And I, I really do enjoy, uh, I enjoy these conversations and I enjoy the opportunity. I, this is what I love about the world right now is this constant dialogue back and forth, a sharing of ideas. And to me, this is like the heart of the entrepreneurial spirit is this generosity of sharing ideas and working together to grow our businesses. To me, this is so much fun. It's like big business jam. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Daryl. I appreciate it immensely. Any last words for our peeps? Hey, well, I'll tell you what I say at the end of every episode of the Revenue Growth Podcast, and that's let's get going and let's get growing. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you're looking to scale and automate your business, reach out to us. We'd love to help you. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, like five stars personally and share with your friends.